0: Love Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And this is Kim, the one and only, and I'll say it one more time. As as for me and my black free thinkers, we shall read books. You know, (laughs) because you know people got stuff twisted out there, and I just want to make sure that that's understood. But um, another thing that I want to make sure that I kind of clear up, because some of the feedback I've been getting, I am not a Republican. I'm not a Republican nor am I a Democrat, but I just want to make sure that you understand that I'm not a Republican because, you know, a few of you all have gotten a little confused, and I've got a lot more um, black Republicans and Republicans following me. Now, I'm not sure if you're doing that because I'm about to be trolled, but I just want to make sure that we're on the same page and that you understand me and where I'm coming from. In regards to where I stand politically, I don't stand for the Republicans, nor do I I stand for the Democrats. Uh, I'm not on either side. I'm an independent voter, and I vote that way, basically. And also, I'm a proud socialist. So, I mean, let's not get this twisted. So, anyway, there's been a lot going on Um, for the new people out there that are listening to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. I was looking at my numbers because I hadn't looked at them in a couple of weeks because it's been a couple of weeks since I've done a show. And in some areas, we have doubled and tripled our numbers. So thank you. I appreciate it, and I'm really happy about that. So thank you for... Listening in, for those that may want to call in later, the telephone number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. You have to press 1 to talk to me, but well, we're going to stay on topic today, and we're going to be talking about woke white people and their fragility. Now, I'm going to be talking about a number of things, but I'll go on ahead and read what I wrote here, which is just a real basic synopsis of what I'm going to be talking about today. But it says, please join us as we discuss why some white progressives, moderates, liberals, and allies are problematic and complicit with white supremacy. When you attempt to explain why their silence or their encouragement of you being silent is violent, here comes the conditional support, tears, and accusations of you not being a team player or understanding the sacrifices that they make just to be your friend and be seen in public standing by your side. And, you know, that's just, you know, the tip of the iceberg of some of the things that I've heard over the years in regards to, um, you know, talking to, dealing with allies or so called allies and, and, and these different people from these different walks of life. And, you know, that, but it's not only the, you know, the progressive, moderate, liberals. I mean, you have a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people. it, it, it it's something that happens across the board, and you've been programmed to think this way. You've been programmed to react that way. You've been programmed to defend white supremacy, even in your, in your, uh, in your critiques, if you will, against white supremacy on white privilege, there is a certain slack to it that you don't even realize that it's been programmed into you in, in your own way. You're still defending it, and you're still helping to perpetuate white supremacy. And so it's interesting because I put an article on my page about a book called White Fragility that a white woman wrote. And so I'm not going to get into it yet, but it's interesting because what the white woman put in her book are things that black and brown people have been, black, brown, red, yellow people have been telling you for decades, centuries, but unfortunately, you all have been conditioned to only believe it if it comes out of a white person's mouth, you know, to dismiss people of color, and there are some people of color that are the same way, that if it comes out of another person of color's mouth, you know, they'll dismiss it, especially if it comes out of a black mouth, and don't be a black woman, oh my goodness, you know, the sky is falling, right, so it's been a lot going on in my world, in my life, and um, you know, I'll go ahead and tell you guys it's like, you know, some things there have been some major changes in my life and some of the things that I've been doing. And uh you know, it's been kinda of frustrating. I've been rather pissed off for the past few weeks for a number of things. And we will get into it, but um Yeah, you know, I've been really, really, really pissed off, and I've been kind of holding back on some things, and I just can't necessarily do it anymore because it's like I feel like I'm suffocating. And there are some days when I feel like my head is going to explode because it's like, you know, you you have to vent. You have to let these things out. You know, some people do it in a number of different ways. You know, some people write. We all know that I'm not a fan of writing, and that's one of the things that hurts me because you have some of these other folks out here that listen to the show and listen to what I'm saying, then hurry up and go write it and add a couple of words to it and try to claim it as their own. And then you hear me on the show pissed off because I know where they got it from, but, you know, you know, I'm going to have to work on things on my end, but that's not going to stop me from calling you out on your bullshit, though. So let's not get that twisted. But... um. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's kind of irked me is, um, if you haven't figured it out, I love Chicago. I don't live in Chicago anymore. And basically, where I'm living now, you know, there's only a handful of black and brown folks down here. So my frustration has been finding the black and brown people. Now, when I say finding the black and brown people, I see them all the time, every day. See them at the Walmart. See them, you know, see their cars in the parking lot of the churches, and you know, there are times when I actually have to go into the church and I see all the black and brown people, and you know, and I get that. But when I say I'm looking for the black and brown people, I'm talking about people that we can have conversations, I can relate to on the most on a more social level, because it's like when you're not being fed emotionally and intellectually, for me, I feel like I'm dying. And, you know, that's part of the problem. So we're trying to create an atmosphere and put together a group of people where we can come together and we can talk about a number of issues, whether it's feminism whether it's racism, whether it's sexism, whether it's, you know, um, just anything, that we can come together as adults, you know, more than likely brick and bread in a nice, friendly environment where people can be themselves and speak their peace. Because, you know, again, you know, you have to get this stuff out. You need people you can talk to. And I have some wonderful people in my life, and, you know, we talk on the phone, and, you know, we meet up you know, in places and, you know, you have all of that, but I, I, I need someone that's here. So, you know, what's interesting is, is that, you know, I'm kind of coming out of my little reclusive mindset, whereas I kind of want to be around people now. And for a long time, I didn't want to be around a lot of people because of situations and people from the past. And you can't judge people on what happened in the past, but I can damn sure keep an eye on your ass and not put myself in that position. Or when I recognize the bullshit, when it's coming my way, stop it or run away from it or walk away from it or whatever I have to do. So it's been real interesting because it's like I'm recognizing the bullshit a lot sooner and dealing with it. And in some cases it's like, how the hell am I supposed to deal with this? And, and, So anyway, it's been interesting. So, yeah, I'm not in the city anymore. There's been a lot going on. Um, Next week, as a matter of fact, should be the White Civil Rights March in D.C. And so from what I'm understanding, you know, the D.C. Metro Union is refusing to transport white nationalists. And, you know, there's been some controversy where they were trying to set up trains in which the white nationalists can be on and other people won't have to deal with them, so separate but equal train cars or train schedules or however that works. So it should be interesting because I'm really somewhat anxious to see the turnout they're going to get. I want to see who's showing up. You know, I would love to see the reports from the hotels, as a matter of fact, you know, a lot of these hotels turn around and call each other and answer their stats as to how many rooms they have available and all of that. You know, maybe some young, budding journalists out there may want to take that and put that on their little itinerary you know, agenda. Hmm. Interesting. I bet you Trump Tower will be full. So, anyway, getting on. Uh, it's been a lot happening Um You know, this was a really horrible weekend in Chicago. You know, I've been reading the reports. There was a lot of violence over the weekend. And you've heard me say this on the show, and I'm going to just go ahead and say it now. You know, over the years, not just most recently, but especially most recently, You've seen an uptick in violence in major metropolitan areas. Um, the focus is on Chicago, of course. Why? Because, you know, Trump and his people hate Barack Obama and anything affiliated with him, which is Chicago. But a lot of these murders and things that you all are seeing, okay, some of it is intercommunal, but some of this shit is being done by, you know, police and white supremacists. And I know some of you are out there like, oh, man, here we go, this conspiracy, you know, it's not a conspiracy, it's true. And just pay attention to the uptick. I just want you to watch. Watch and pay attention to what's happening. And, again, I tell you to question everything. So, you know, that's just a little something that I wanted to put in your ear, but... Uh, My condolences goes out to the families and friends that are dealing with the death of loved ones in whatever capacity that it may happen to be because we already know CPD, Chicago Police Department, are out there taking out black and brown bodies left and right and not giving a damn and doing it with impunity. And if you notice, that has gone up. There's been an uptick in that as well. So, again, you know, I give a shout-out to Black Lives Matter Chicago and the crew. They've been doing an excellent job. They're on top of it. That's hard, you guys. Now, whether you're dealing with families who have had members killed by the Chicago Police Department or you're dealing with families that have had, you know, loved ones killed from intracommunal violence or whatever, that is a very difficult situation to be in. And it's tricky to navigate those particular waters or navigate those situations. And so we've been dealing with some of that down here, and you have to be extremely careful in those situations. Um, As a matter of fact, you know, um, we had a rally, and what was interesting is that we had a police officer show up, and, you know, he's out there trying to shake hands, and I stayed on the stage and refused to come down because one thing I'm not is friends with the police. Can't trust them. And I didn't want to give anybody the ill-conceived notion that I, you know, condoned or, no, that's not what we do. That is not what we do. Um, mm -mm. And so it was just really interesting because people, I believe, well, not believe, I know they misunderstood initially. Our intent, but afterwards they understood it a lot better. But then you have these people out here that purposefully distort or attempt to distort the message. And so, you know, I'm going to go into a situation and talk about that, but I think I'm going to leave that alone for right now. But, you know, again, I want you guys to pay attention to what's happening. I'm going to tell you about some things that have been happening to me because it's infuriating as well as comical at the same time. And when I say comical, it's not a funny ha-ha type of situation, but it's a funny, like, yeah, I knew that shit was going to happen type of situation, right? So anyway, before I get started on all of that, I want to talk about this new task force that's, you know, being launched by Jeff Sessions. And so I retweeted something about this the day that it was announced. And what was interesting is, you know, I had someone respond to me and, and on Twitter, and they included FFRF as well as American Atheists and Dave Silverman saying what exactly are they going to do about this new Christian task force. And let me go ahead. The name of the, the group is the Religious Liberty Task Force want to make sure you understand the name so you can look it up, which I encourage you to do. Religious Liberty Task Force, right? And so basically, you know, this is being put together to, you know, protect the rights of religious liberty in this country and their political speech. Now, we've already talked about how they're trying to roll back the Johnson Amendment to allow these preachers and ministers and whomever to preach politics over the pulpit and not have their 501c3 threatened. So we've been telling you all about this. We've, You know, this has been building up. This should not be a surprise to any of you. And then you have President Trump and his executive orders and, you know, protecting, you know, um, fragile white Christian feelings, right? And their precious white Christian religious beliefs, which are pretty much steeped in racism and homophobia and a number of other things. Misogyny, patriarchy, all of that. And so it's just really interesting now that they have this task force out there and, you know, you have people going nuts. So anyway, someone tweeted at me and, you know, those two organizations and that individual. And so my response to them was, let's give Freedom From Religion Foundation time to galvanize their team of lawyers so that they can deal with that situation. we got to give them time. It was just announced that day, even though – this was nothing new, you know, they, you know, it's been known that they were going to create this task force. So this should not have caught anyone who's been paying attention any surprise. But I said, let's give Freedom From the Religion Foundation time to galvanize their team and put together a plan. And, you know, I happened to like Annie Laurie and Dan Barker. Annie Laurie, Gaylor, and, um, and Dan Barker. You know, I happen to like them. They're wonderful people. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, let's ease up on that. But, um, you know, in regards to American Atheists and Dave Silverman, my response to the individual, which was a separate response, was I gave up on them a long time ago. And I know some people are like, well, why? Why did you give up on, you know, this particular organization and this individual? Well, you know, let me be fair and let me make sure I'm clear. They're not the only organizations, that's not the only organization, and he's not the only person that I've given up on. There are a number of people that I can list. And my response to him was, well, maybe American atheists can go out and put up more billboards in black neighborhoods saying slaves obey your slave masters, and now they can have the federal government back them up. It should be a libertarian's wet drink. You know this should arouse their their membership base, and there's a lot of truth to what I'm saying there, and so you know what's so interesting about the whole situation is you know <laughs> um you know, I've kind of walked away from the secular community because a lot of it is bullshit, and a lot of the people are bullshit and trash, yeah, I call you trash. And there's a reason for it, because you have these people in this community that continue to perpetuate white supremacy and build on it even more. And basically what I have, you know, I have an issue with that, but I have an issue in how some of you use the black and brown and ex-Muslim bodies within your particular community To go in and and knock down doors and talk to people and attempt to bring people into the secular community, then you're scapegoating them and you're using them. And, you know, this is very clear. And I've talked about this for years, so don't act like this is brand new. But you've been doing this, and now you have this happening. And what this is happening is Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump are defending and and, and and rallying around white Christianity with their racism and their homophobia. What exactly are you going to do? I think you at least owe your black, brown, red, yellow, ex-Muslim members and supporters. You at least owe them. You owe them just the very least. You owe them to go in and deal with this issue, because I believe the ownership of this does a lot. You know, fall. your feet they've been out here you've been using them they've been supporting you however that works there but you need to be dealing with this you need to be confronting this head-on and if you don't yeah I'm going to say something or what I'm going to say to your black brown red yellow ex-muslim followers and supporters what I'm going to say to you all is told you so told you so You know, and it's going to be up to the good old Satanists to come in and shut that down. So it's going to be interesting, you know, the lawsuits that have already started coming in. You know, people have already been filing lawsuits against that. And it should be interesting because it's like they're protecting religious liberties. But, you know, which religion? What about all the other religions that are out there? What about the people who are not religious? What about their liberty? What about their liberty to not be religious at all? So, you know, again, I'm looking at, you know, a lot of these secular organizations and people, and what are you going to defend? I mean, what are you going to do to defend the black, brown, red, yellow, ex-Muslim bodies as part of your so-called movement? What are you going to do? especially when most of you supported Donald Trump on the low. You know, you CPAC Atheist, what's going on with you? How do you feel about this? What you have to say about that? And what's so interesting is Raina and I have been kind of digging around And um, you see all these issues with these foreign nationals and all the money and the muddying of the waters and all of that? Eh, If you dig around, some of the names may seem a little familiar to you, and I'm going to leave that at that. So anyway, so they got this, you know, task force to protect the, you know, fragile white feelings of Christians and their beliefs. And basically, you know, the Justice Department, basically it says here that the task force will ensure all Justice Department components are holding or are upholding that guidance in the cases they bring and defend, the arguments that they make in court, the policies, the regulations they adopt, and how we conduct our operations. And Jeff Sessions is saying that the cultural climate in this country and in the West more generally has become more or has become less hospitable to people of faith in recent years. Now, for those of you who do not know what that means, um, secularism, non-belief, has been growing, and and you have a group of people called the nuns, and some of them consider themselves spiritual but not religious. And that group is growing as well. And so, you know, if it's not white, cisgender, hetero, Christian, male center, then they have a problem with it. So you need to keep that in mind. And so basically, you know, this is basically about protecting white people and making white people feel better. And because, I mean, if you even go and you look at the politics over in Europe, you know, France and, you know, Germany and England, you'll see a lot of them saying that they're Christian. And and, and that's the center of their life. And, and, and everything revolves around that, Christianity. So you need to pay attention to how all of this is kind of coalescing and how it's all kind of tied together about what's going on, you need to pay attention. And this is why I was looking at the people who would get angry when I would post articles about what was happening in you. They just didn't care. And I told them that this was coming to a city near you one day. And that is what is happening because what's happening with this here, you already have white people out here thinking that they can act with impunity and having you know, task forces like this, and basically being given cover by the government is going to embolden them to act even more, you know, ludicrous, even more violently. I mean, I, I just need you guys to pay attention. But, see, the secular community isn't off the hook. And the reason why I'm bringing it back to you is because the same thing is happening over here. The absolute same thing using secularism, whether it's atheism, agnosticism, um, deism, pantheism, whatever you may call yourself. There are some people using that as a shield to deflect or to try to filter their racism. Now, I told you some of the ridiculous excuses I've heard from some of these people oh, well, you know, I was a racist and I was a sexist when I was a Christian, but now that I'm no longer a Christian, I'm no longer these days. And we all know my little joke about that, have you been dipped in washing the blood of the four horsemen? Because that's the most idiotic excuse I've ever heard. And you expect us to believe this. And this is one of the reasons why I got so frustrated with the black and brown people in that community. But anyway, you know, the biggest obstacle has been from white people. White progressives in the community making excuses and trying to excuse it away, trying to explain it away. And some of them, yeah, you know, you'll say something about it, you know, but yet you're just talking. You know, that's like praying about it. Praying about the situation ain't going to change the situation, it takes action. And so it's just been really interesting paralleling or contrasting these two communities and seeing how they are so much alike. And I talk about it, and, of course, it makes them angry, and the white progressive moderates and liberals in this community get angry with me because I talk about the racism on their behalf and how when they're being silenced, that silence, this tacit you know, agreement, you're being complicit. And I've been talking about this for years, and I also talked about you stealing your co-opting, if you will. Co-opting and appropriating, you know, different movements like social justice. And it's not that you can't have a social justice movement. It's just that many of you were uh, (laughs) co-opting the language, and like I said, there's a few of you. I'm like, do you have any other clothing besides Black Lives Matter T-shirts? Because if black lives really mattered to you, you would have been putting a stop to a lot of this nonsense a long time ago. You would have been saying something about it a long time ago. But yet you're trying to co-opt another movement in an effort to galvanize your particular fan base or your movement or to bring in money for whatever it is you're trying to do. And it's not just the white people doing it. There are black and brown people in the community doing the same thing. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm not real popular about that. But let's get back to Jeff Sessions and his religious liberty, you know, and, and what's going on with that because, um, you know, as quiet as it's being kept, there are a lot of black people that are leaving these white evangelical churches. And that's why I'm looking at some of the black people that are sitting under, sitting under um, people like Paula White, and uh, Rod Parsley and, you know, a number of them and that are clearly racist in their support of Donald Trump, right? And all this, all this is, with this particular task force, is providing cover for racist and homophobic white Christians to go back to being openly racist and homophobic. And what's interesting is you have people who call themselves progressives and liberals, they're like, wait a minute, you know, um, especially if they're Christian, how dare you? No, I dare because it's true. And you know it's true. And then here we go with I don't have a racist bone in my body, all of that bullshit. And I'm like, you know, we're not talking about Siobhan. So anyway, you know, what's happening with this is is extremely dangerous. And, you know, what Jeff Sessions said about, you know, let me give you a quote from him. He was talking about organizing his Religious Liberty Task Force. And he says that the nation can take pride in respecting all people as they fully exercise their faith. And then he warned that a dangerous movement undetected by many is now challenging and eroding our great tradition of religious freedom. And that this movement must be confronted and defeated, right? Who the hell you think he's talking about? You know, I know we we know he's talking about Islam, but he's also talking about the secular movement too. Let's not get that twisted. Don't think you guys are under the radar. And so, um, huh, that's why I said, you know, religious task force. You know, are they supporting all religions to make sure that everyone can speak freely? And so you all need to listen for these little trigger words, these little cold words, all of that. Um, White religious liberty has not been persecuted. And so what's so interesting about that is challenging white Christians or white evangelicals, challenging, critiquing them, asking difficult questions. They consider that persecution. So you need to understand the language of what's happening here and what they're trying to do. They don't want to be questioned. They just want to do what they want to do. They want to be able to use scripture to justify it. And that's what they've been doing. So, again, to these large white organizations and these, you know, white celebrities, or so called celebrities, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to protect the black, brown, red, brown, black, brown, red, yellow, ex Muslim bodies that are in your community? Just out of curiosity, don't mind me. I just have a little bit too much time to think about this stuff and enough not give a fuck to ask questions and to make the accusations and to point the fingers. So, you know, again, this is their way of being able to be racist, sexist, discriminatory, bigoted, all of these things in public making it okay to be that way again. It's not okay to me. And I don't understand why it's okay to some of you. You know, and what's so interesting is, like I said, this is a libertarian's wet dream because the ability to discriminate and to not allow people to partake of or or what have you, whatever the situation may be, that is what many of them believe in. So I'm like, this here She just make them all kinds of thrilled. And considering the community is pretty much based with white male libertarians, what exactly are you going to do? And my answer to, you know, for many of them is absolutely nothing because it's still giving them what they wanted. And like I said, you know, that particular community is built on an ideology of not compromise. They would rather tear it up and tear it down than compromise. Why? Because their white privilege affords them the ability to rebuild it. Their fan base, their membership base is going nowhere and will continue to give them money to fund these types of actions. And for some of you, you need to be asking some of these people in these organizations, where the hell is the money coming from? But, you know, that's too hard of a question, right? So, um Muslims, non-believers, LGBTQ, you know, other religious people of other religions, Um, pay attention. There's a target on your back. Some of it comes from without, but quite a few of it comes from within. And I just want you all to be aware of that. Because racism is basically, it never went away. It was just kind of like a scab over it. And what this administration has done was rip the scab off and show you what has been festering underneath the whole time. And so as time has gone on, my thought processes have changed in regards to how I see some of these situations because to know better is to do better, right? And as you read and you talk to other people and you allow them to feed into you and you feed into them, there's a lot that you can learn and you realize that basically, uh, basically, there's a lot more happening than what many of us are paying attention to. And what's interesting is the media is all upset because 45's people are calling them the enemy of the people, hissing at them, you know, threatening them and all of these things, which isn't right. You should not be threatening and attacking news people. I get that. That shouldn't be happening. However, Why are you covering this? Why are you covering his tweets? Why aren't you all focused on what's happening and the changes that are being made, the social safety net that's being eroded, how basically, you know, even with this religious task force, how it's setting up oppression for people that are not part of that particular religious group. And even within that particular religious group, all Christians now, black Christians, brown Christians, This don't necessarily apply to you. So what then? How do you deal with that? How do you fare with that? Are some of these large white Christian organizations and preachers and celebrities, are they going to defend you? Are they going to stand up? and stand against what's happening right now with this religious task force, if you think you're exempt, if you think that this is not going to impact you, you are wrong. And um, you're in for a hell of a surprise. You're in for a hell of a surprise. So, you know, let's not get it twisted. Not even a little bit because, you know, it's coming <laughs> to a store near you or to a congregation or a pulpit near you. So anyway, um, you know, I want you all, you know, you go out and look at this and see what's happening. But, yeah, now what Jeff Sessions is doing, this is to protect white people. This is to protect white Christians that feel as though they've been persecuted because they don't want to make a gay cake. You know, or, or as he was talking about the nuns who've had to go out and buy, you know, birth control and these things. I mean, it's a, it's, there's a lot more to this particular narrative. But again, you know, huh? You know, what's happening? You know, you have Americans United for Separation of Church and State. They're saying religious freedom guarantees us all the right to believe whatever we want about God or religion and to act on our beliefs so long as we don't harm others while doing so. You know, and you have a number of people out here that are speaking out. But, again, talk is just talk. What are you going to do to make sure that people aren't trampled on, that people aren't harmed, you know, while this you know, you know, with the policies that are being put in place, you know. So pay attention, <laughs> pay attention to what's happening and speak up. Speak up and speak out, you know. I'm just trying to figure out where is the evidence. Where is the evidence that white evangelicals and Christians have been attacked? you know, that they're being discriminated against, hell, you know, over 50% of the population of white people feel as though, I think they said 57% of white people feel as though they've been discriminated against. Someone was on Twitter and they were talking about they had a t-shirt on that said, trust black women. And of course, some white woman walked up to her and said, well, why, why black women? And her response was 53% of white women made bad life choices. And what she was referring to was the 53% of white women that voted for Donald Trump. And, you know, I've talked about white women and, you know, they're being complicit with white supremacy. and, And it's just really interesting because, you know, I have pissed off some white feminists, which I don't give a damn because ain't shit you can do to me. You know, go ahead and write a blog so I can sue your ass. And um, some of the things that they've been doing out here and how they've, you know, undermined a lot of black and brown women how they've taken and co-opted and appropriated a lot of the words and the actions of black and brown women that have paid the price, some of whom died destitute. But they've taken that and they've, quote, unquote, made it their own and then get angry when you challenge it. But they don't want to talk about race. Why do we have to talk about race? We're women. We're sisters. Talking about race is to the especially with that Women's March. Well, I made some people mad with that. You know, I understood why we needed the Women's March, and I supported the black and brown organizers that helped put that together. But even looking at the pushback from that, they found a way, these white feminists found a way to point the finger at black women and put all the blame on black women. And that's been consistent. And so, yeah, you know, when I talk about these issues, I'm looking at it across the board. You know, look at the white women who were defending that pedophile, you know, Roy Moore. You know, passionate, vitriolic, yet passionate in their defense of a man who had to call a girl's parents to get permission to date her. That generally means that she was too young to give permission herself. You know, and so it's just, you know, I'm looking at this and paying attention. And here you go with these buzzwords, changing cultural climate. And that's part of the problem, the browning of America, you know, basically all over the world. And the culture is changing, but yet if it's not white, cisgendered, hetero Christian male centered, then something is wrong with it. It's not normal. That is normal to them, and white women help to uplift that in general. And so, you know, white women by far benefit the most from affirmative action. And so what's so interesting about that is, you know, those of you that have been listening to the show, you know, I've talked about the New Deal and affirmative action extensively. And um, there was – I'm going to move on from the, the Jeff Sessions thing, but I do want you guys to go out and pay attention and read, you know, because the Ku Klux Klan is a Christian organization. And sometimes they organize through churches. Are you sanctioning that? Are you condoning that? Are you promoting that? Is that religious liberty? Especially since they feel that the white race is the irreplaceable hub of our nation. Huh. How about that? So, yeah, religious liberty is a cover for racism, but, you know, that works on the other end of the spectrum as well. So I just want to make sure, you know, I want to keep things fair and balanced around here. So anyway, um, I've talked a lot about the new deal and, um, and how affirmative action primarily benefited white women. But in addition to all of that, basically, um, you have white women out here that voted for Trump and that are vehemently against affirmative action. And what's interesting is a lot of them do not know the history. What did James Baldwin say, that white people are caught up in history that they do not know and they do not understand? That is very true. And so let me tell y'all about, you know, what I've kind of been going through here, you know, which is another reason why, like, I'm just, like, on fire, right? So I'm bored. I'm absolutely bored, silly down here, right? And so it's like, you know, really don't have any excuses. I have a new car. I have my old car. I have a passport. And I have money. I can pretty much do whatever the hell I wanted to right? But why, why do I have to travel? But that's a whole different story. Because you're out there, I'll find you, because I've been laying low since I moved back. I really just started surfacing in the last couple of months. And even then, it's been limited. But anyway, so I went over to this one institution to visit, you know, and that took me a couple of months to get over there because there's something about getting up on a Sunday that kind of triggers me. It's like every other day of the week, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, good morning, you know, I'm wide awake. But on Sunday, especially if I'm going to visit certain institutions, I can't drag myself out of, that. you know, Bedside Baptist, right? And so I finally made my way over there. And, you know, of course, the minute I walked in because it was, predominantly white, and when I say predominantly white, I mean 99% white, and so as soon as I walk in, you know, and I had on a BLM t-shirt, you know, you have people flocking to you, but it was one person in particular, and so they were very nice, very kind, I appreciated, it, and so they have these different groups that meet at different times, and I was like, oh, okay, you have one of these groups let me come out and see what you all are talking about. So, you know, I got on the mailing list, and, you know, they sent out some little topics, and it was about race and racism. So I was like, well, hi, damn, all right, I'm getting ready to get some some stimulation. Here we go. So I'm showing up, you know, and I came to the first meeting. And um, <laughs> when I walk in, It was like surprise, 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 and it was a very spirited conversation, right? Now, the conversations generally are about an hour and a half, but that hour and a half rolls around really fast when, you know, the banter back and forth, and I mean, it was just, it was great having that conversation. At least I thought it was great, right, because it was like, oh. No, what you're saying, you know, that's partially correct, but this is where you fall short. But don't forget about this here and all of that. And so it was just, you know, it was funny. And so it was one white guy that was there, and he was laughing through the whole meeting. You know, he was was giving his opinion, but he was laughing. And at the end, he made sure he came over and introduced himself to me, and he told me that I was a breath of fresh air. I was like, oh, well, thank you, la, 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 la. And so I was like, hey, you know, people want to know my name, all of that. Well, some of them did, right? So the next meeting, they're still talking about race. Hot damn, yes, I'm going to make it. I was going to time, child. I was going to time, you know, had to get a good seat over in the corner, right? And so, you know, the discussion was lively. It was great. It was wonderful. And, of course, I'm having a good damn time, right? Because it's like, Woohoo, yes. And <laughs> you know, right after that is when I left for Amsterdam when I was over there for a couple of weeks. And you know <laughs> you know, when when I got back I got an email, hi, Kimberly you know, let's meet for lunch. Well, not lunch, but let's meet for coffee. And, you know, let's talk about a few things. And I'm like, oh, sure, why not? Okay. Um. Well, I just got back into the country. And so, you know, you have that jet lag, that time difference, it just kind of fucks you up a little bit, right? So that first week wasn't good for me. And so the next week, and so they were like, oh, yeah, I'm bringing so-and-so to the meeting. And, you know, and I was like, oh, so are we going to be talking about this institution? Well, no, not particularly. We're going to just be, you know, just general conversation. And so me, being who I am, a paranoid, a little cynical, and not trusting a damn thing and not really trusting anybody, it didn't smell, it didn't pass the smell test, right? It didn't smell right. So, you know, I called on a friend, and I'm like, no, nah. I was like, I need you to come and meet me for this meeting here. Will you be able to meet me there? And they were like, yeah. So they came, they showed up, and I told them in the email, oh, I'm bringing so-and-so. Yeah, we want to talk about blah. Oh, well, wait a minute, what, what the, We're not really going to talk. Oh, okay, that's fine. So... Of course, I got there, and they were already there, had a table, whatever, and so I walked up, and I was like, oh, my friend should be here shortly, and they came a few minutes later, and so, you know, we were having a conversation, and me being me, I always scan the room. Whenever I walk into a room or a situation, I'm scanning the room to see who's there, I need to see who's sitting behind me, to the side of me, what's going on. And especially since we were in a coffee house, you know, where is the kitchen? How are they coming through? Because they serve little baked goods and stuff too, right? And then there was a back door. And so we're sitting there and my friends taking notes and talking and asking questions and all of that. And I noticed, because, you know, I could be – Rather humorous at times. And I would say something that I knew would, you know, generate a laugh. And there's this one individual at another table, two tables over, that would laugh. So, you know, they were listening to the conversation. So now all of a sudden, all of my flags are up because it happened a few times. And so, you know, what was interesting with that conversation is, and what's interesting with white people. You like to ask black and brown people direct questions, but you hate answering direct questions. So, you know, this individual, they said, well, Kimberly, you came to our meetings, and what was the first thing you noticed? And so in my mind, I'm like, this is a trick question. You know, and I'm looking around, you know, thinking I'm being pumped. And I'm like, are you serious? And they were like, yeah, what was the first thing you noticed? And so, of course, in my mind, you know, I have this one word that's like, and I was like, well, I can't say that. I said, well, we're a little nuanced, because white white people like nuance, right? And, and, and black people who are trying to capitalize off of white people would prefer that you use nuance, because it doesn't make them feel uncomfortable. So I said, the first thing I noticed was that you were homogenous. You know, and she was like, hmm, homogenous. What do you mean by that? Now, y'all know me. I can only do that dance and play that game for so long. and I've just lost all patience just in general. And I'm like, white. You were all white. And she looked taken aback. And she was like, what do you mean we were all white? And I said, everybody in the room was white, except for me. And I was new. And she was like, that was the first thing you noticed? Yes. And so she didn't know what to do with that, because I guess she was looking for a more nuanced, you know, nicer answer. But I don't have time for nice anymore, fuck it. So when I said it in a nice way, I had a smile, All right. And so um, what was interesting was, oh, well, that's interesting that that will be the first thing you notice. And I was like, well, why wouldn't that be the first thing I notice? I'm like, you had men there, you had women there, so you got that covered. And she was like, oh, well, we used to have some nice Jewish people that used to come, and we haven't seen them in a while. And, you know, she was going on. And I'm like, yeah, except for many Jewish people, many of them are secular, you know, and the Judaism, you know, cultural tradition, what have you, right? And she was like, yes. And I was like, so they stopped coming, huh? And she was like, well, I think they have other things to do. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, I'm like, all right, keep going, me, keep going, me, this is not, so anyway, so she was going on and she was like, well, what would you like to see happen to the group? I was like, more black and brown people. I'm like, where are the black and brown people? Are you reaching out to the black and brown people? I said, you know, you'll get a full discussion, you know, about race if you actually bring in the people who are experiencing the racism. You know, because after the second meeting, you know, the white guy, he was just loving it. And, you know, and I was like laughing, but, you know, as I was at that meeting and listening to these um, questions, I realized something. I think I, you know, I, <laughs> I think I was breakdancing all over their white fragility in those meetings, right, because, This is what I talk about when I talk about woke white people, right? These people, they are white progressives, moderates, liberals, allies, you know, telling me that they're members of Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, really now? Huh. You're a member of Black Lives Matter? Yes, I am. They said it with pride. I was like, all right, they are a hot damn, right? And so... I'm sitting back, and I'm like, what the fuck? And so I'm like, okay. And I was like, see, y'all don't really understand that you are stoking my inner troll. And when I say that, you know, I'm talking about, you know, gloves off, their knuckle responses. And that's what they got. And so, basically, I believe that I was bread dancing all over their white fragility because, see, what's interesting is that some of these white people thought that they had made it, that they were on it, that, you know, they they had that racism thing in check, and they knew and understood what racism was, and, you know, God bless the queen, you know, they have arrived until a little black girl from the south side of Chicago by the name of Kim walked in and was like, the fuck are you talking about? That's not how that works. And that's a Fox talking point. You had somebody said that whites are six times more likely to be hurt and harmed and killed by a black person than a white person. I'm like, that's not true. I'm like, actually, the statistic is another white person is six times more likely to be hurt and harmed by another white person. You know, and then I also recommended that they read some books that teaches you how to lie with statistics, which is what a lot of, you know, where a lot of this propaganda comes from. And so, you know, the conversation was going on, you know, and and now, you know, I'm not at the coffee house right now. I'm taking you all back to the meeting and telling you all some of the finer points of some of these conversations. And so, you know, you know, you have one, because, I mean, They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do because I was, like, in the conversation, in the groove, happy, tearing their shit down. No, that's not what that is. That's not true. You had one person who said, well, you know, it's gotten much better. Racism is better. And I'm like, for who? And I was like, that's not true. Well, we don't have lynchings anymore. Yes, we do. Well, the technology and the innovation, I'm like, beating and killing black and brown bodies has turned into a spectator sport. Look at all those videos. That's lynching. That is what that is. And they had to back it up. They were like, oh, well, I guess you're right. They didn't like that. So, you know, even though they... (laughs) They weren't expecting me to bring someone with me to the meeting, and so, you know, that was unexpected, and I don't think they expected my answers to be as direct as they were. You know, so, Kim, what would make, you know, the group better? Well, where are the black and brown people? Where are the Muslims? Why don't you have any Muslims here? So we can talk about the racism and Islamophobia. Where are all these people that should be at the table? Oh, well, Kimberly, I'm not sure if the members, you know, I don't know if they would take too well to the Muslims coming to the meeting. And why not? You're talking about racism. You're talking about humanism. You're talking about cultural and societal norms, right? Shouldn't everybody have a seat at the table? to talk about these things. You know, and so, you know, it was an interesting meeting. We talked about a number of things, but I can tell that I made them uncomfortable and I didn't give a shit because as I've told you all on this show before and I've told you in real life, it is my job to cause you discomfort. It is my job to make you uncomfortable. It is my job to make you question that what you think you know. And you have these people walking into these settings thinking that they know it all, that you can't teach them not another damn thing about race, that they know more about race and racism than the black and brown, red, yellow people that are experiencing it because they have arrived. And, and, and they know what's best for us. And we should just do what they say and just go along with it because they can protect us and they can make a way. You just have to wait. Give it some time. You know, we've been waiting. How much time do you need? It's been 400 years. It's about your discomfort. So anyway, so, you know, you know, we finished up the coffee and, you know, my friend and I stayed and, you know, two white people walked each other outside. And so, you know, after they walked out, my friend was about to say something, but, you know, I gave her a signal to not, you know, to not go there. So we talked about other things. And so 10, 15 minutes later, um, one of the people came back, and they said bye, they went out the back door, and the guy that I suspected was videoing the conversation, you know, he closed up his stuff, put it in the bag, and he walked out right behind behind her, and, you know, and I was telling my friend, I was like, see that? And I was like, see, this is why, you know, uh, I'm very suspicious. Offense. So, you know, he may or may not have been videotaping the meeting. He may have been there to, I don't know if he was there to provide security. I don't know if I was going to be asked not to return. I don't know what the hell the original thought was going on in their head. But they changed the subject matter, and so, you know, they went on and started talking about, would you want to live forever? Not what you motherfuckers, I won't. No! Unless we make some real changes, who wants to go through another thousand years of this shit? So, you know, <laughs> you know what's interesting is that, um, you know, I was quite offended by that. Quite, quite, quite offended. And as soon as they open it back up to racism, guess who's going to show up? And I'm bringing friends this time. So it should be a lot of fun. And I'm bringing a lot of friends. I'm talking about, like, maybe four or five people. And um, it should be interesting, you know, especially when you talk about that fragility. And with a lot of these white progressives and liberals, you know, who think that they have a rod. And what's even more interesting is when you have these so-called woke white people attempting to chastise black people. Like, oh, well, that sounds racist to me, and blah, 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 and going on, only to have the black person turn around and say that the person in question is white. Then you can hear a rat piss on cotton, right? No one has anything to say after that. But yet you want to attack black people, like, oh, well, wait a minute. You know, it's just funny to me. You know, not funny in a ha ha, but funny is like your ass is fucking problematic and you are complicit and you need to read that read that white woman's book since you won't believe me and other black people who have been telling you this. And how your so called in some cases, your allyship is is basically trying to solidify white supremacy. You may or may not be conscious of that. And so, you know, what's interesting is, you know, when you when you tap dance all over that white fragility, sometimes you get the tears, sometimes you get, you know, the anger, and then, you know, the comments about not having a racist vote. Bo- oh, well, wait a minute. I'm married to a black song. I don't give a shit. Well, I have biracial. That don't mean shit. That don't mean nothing. Oh, you understand that. There is no nicer way I can put that shit. I like, guess it is because, again, white people like nuance and certain black people, especially if they're trying to exploit and manipulate certain white people, they like nuance because they, they want to break it to the gent. And then when you have someone like me and I'm like, plow. then, you know, you turn to that one black friend, right, the one that likes nuance. So 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 they can salve that wound that I left, right? So they can tell you, oh and no, she was just being a mean old black woman over there. No, you know, we're all not like that. And oh yeah, by the way, can you make a donation? No, 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 like I said, sometimes when I look at certain things, all I can hear is the smirk thing song. So, yeah, you know, that that right there is really interesting. Um, You know, you have white people out here feigning ignorance, feigning innocence. Like I told you about that one white woman who tried to convince us that white people did not know when they were being violent towards black people. And I'm like, yes, they know exactly what they're doing. And like I say, you don't believe me, go read that white woman's book. Go read her book. And especially, especially white women, you know, you've hidden behind that racism, you've hidden behind that so-called sisterhood in an effort to make yourself seem like not racist, to, to make yourself seem innocent, and you're not. There was an article, I don't know if I posted it or not, but it was talking about, you know, um, the suffrage movement and how white women betrayed black women during the suffrage movement. Go and read that. Look that up. And even within these feminist waves, the same thing has happened. The same thing, you know, continues to happen. Even to this day, I still don't understand why you thought that having a conference on a plantation was going to be okay with black women the hell are you thinking and this goes back to something that i said i mean i even said that in that you know during you know one of their little meetings or their discussions that most white people do not have a black friend they they all claim to have that one black friend and what's interesting is that one black friend we know who you all are you're the same one sitting there wiping away their tears and have your hand in their pocket not all of you but way too many of them. Oh, they're just fishing around for the tissue or the handkerchief, right? So anyway, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I'm stuffed on a whole bunch of toes with that. But, yeah, that one black friend that all white people have you know, that that magically agrees with everything that they say and believes everything that they believe. You know that magical Negro, right? That magical Negro that shows up right in the nick of time to save you in whatever capacity that is. or Or those black people who should be grateful because, You are there to help them, and you save them with your white savior complex. Now they owe you, right? Yeah? No? How does that work? So I know some people are like, she sounds particularly angry. Yeah, I'm fucking pissed off. On so many damn levels pissed off on so many levels for a number of reasons, you know, and so, uh, you know, I'm just looking around, and, you know, white women in particular are terrified, you know, there was an article, why are white women so terrified of being called racist, and this was written by Sadie Doyle over on Elle, right, so it's talking about the book White Fragility And the author's name is Robin D'Angelo. I've spoken about this book um, a few times on the show today. And the article that I posted was based on this book. And, you know, it's just so interesting, you know, when I was reading this article, and it was talking about how some white women convert racism into passive aggressiveness and why white progressives can be some of the biggest obstacles to racial progress and the value of white people talking to each other about racism. That takes me back to what I was saying about the group. You have a group of white people sitting there talking to each other about racism, high-fiving each other. Yes, 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 we have the answers. Yes, yes, yes. The blacks, the blacks, we just need the blacks to listen to us. We need them to listen to us and to do what we tell them to do. They don't know what's good for them. We know what's best for them. They just need to listen to us. We're going to leave the Black Lives Matter Parade down the main street or down Michigan Avenue or down Fifth Avenue or down Crenshaw or down Houston Street, right? Down King Drive. That's better. You know, almost all cities have a Martin Luther King Drive. We're going to leave the Black Lives Matter Parade down the Martin Luther King Drive Boulevard, right? (laughs) We have the answers. Why won't they listen to us? In the minute you are challenged, critiqued, questioned by a black person, particularly a black woman, you fucking fall apart. You fall apart. And this is why we can't make any progress. And, you know, what's interesting is when you have the groups of white people getting together Talking about race, high-fiving each other, you know, patting each other on the back like they've arrived, that they have all the answers, you know, it, it, they use that to shield them from accountability. So it's like you can't call me racist because we've been talking about race in our group and we have it down pat. We know exactly how this works. We gave five dollars, five whole dollars each to Black Lives Matter. I have a Black Lives Matter sticker on my car. I've been vandalized twice, standing up for the black people. Yay, black people. Right? (sighs) That does not make you exempt from accountability. And so, you know, in this particular article, you know, um, they they ask the question, they pose the question, so what is white fragility? In a nutshell, it's the defensive reaction so many white people have when our racial worldview positions or advantages are questioned or challenged. For a lot of white people just suggesting that being white has meaning will trigger a deep defensive response, and that defensiveness serves to maintain both our comfort and our positions in a racially inequitable society from which we benefit. Huh. And so the next question, well, this comes from Elle, and it says, you say in a book that white fragility occurs because white people have not built up our tolerance for racial discomfort. You also say that white fragility is not weakness. It's not that you can't handle this discussion. You're asserting power within it, but you're asserting that power through a display of fragility. And she responds, think of it as a weaponized weakness, weaponized tears, weaponized hurt feelings. The weakness is just in how little it takes to trigger it, but the impact is not weak at all. Hi, damn, there you go. There's your answer. But there's more to it than that. But that was rather concise. And you know exactly what you're doing. And you know how it's impacting other people. And unfortunately, some of you just really don't give a damn. And your actions show that. Right? And so going further into this, you know, um, you know, I gotta read this part. It said, I was fascinated by your list of how white men react to being challenged. They will blow up or they will accuse the other person of playing a race card or distracting from the real issues. White women cry. Now, see, this is the thing. When I was talking earlier about that secular community, you know, with that distracting from the real issues, that's called mission drift, right, David Silverman? White men? Atheists? and uh, I saw a few of them say we knew as soon as we opened it up and allowed these other people these black and brown people to come in that things would change and now you got your social justice warriors and you got these out of control feminists and we have a this is par for the course so anyway let me give you her response to that Is one of the techniques we use to repel challenges. I want to be really clear that it does not have to be conscious or intentional to function in that way. I'm probably not thinking to myself, um, you know, all right, I'll cry now, and then that person will back off and everyone else will rush to comfort me. I'm not thinking that, but actually I should be thinking that in the sense that I should be aware that that is how my tears are going to impact other people in the room. Middle-class white women in general are taught to avoid conflict. So we can be passive-aggressive in a range of ways. We could withdraw. We could start to avoid the other person. We could talk behind their back. We could galvanize resources offline to punish them. There's a lot of ways that white women undermine women of color and black women in particular. And it's so interesting because they they utilize these same techniques when they call themselves protecting certain black people who is wrong as two left motherfucking shoots. That's a whole different story because that's their black friend. Right? And so, (laughs) read this article. This is actually one of the better articles that I've seen out there. I guess I'll go ahead and I'll post it, you know, a little bit later. But, um... (laughs) You know, right here, you know, L was saying that, you know, here's the part where they wrote, we don't want to be identified in our minds what we think of as bad, mean people. But I will be honest, reading your book, I found some of my own patterns in there. You write that the way we are taught to define racism makes it virtually impossible for white people to understand it exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there's a great response. To that, you know, um, I'll skip some of this, but it says the research shows that by age three to four, all children who grew up in the United States understand that it's better to be white. There is no way we could miss that message; it's relentless, you know. And so, L makes another point, and that leads to the verse of racism you describe, where white people are very anxious not to be racist, but that doesn't lead to learning. It leads to finding a way to do and say racist things while convincing yourself they're okay. And she said, right, in a verse of racism, the concept of racism is abhorrent to that person, but they're filled with racist conditioning and bias, as we all are because that conflicts with their identity as good people. They suppress it and are even more in denial about it. They are even more likely to erupt in defensiveness if it gets called out. That is the classic racism of a white progressive aversive racism, and we have seen this happening over and over and over again. And that's why on the last show I was talking about the good white people you know, who who feel that they should be exempt from all of these things. I mean, you know, there are power dynamics in all of this. And so, especially ones that consider themselves progressive. Progressive to the point that you don't want to experience any discomfort. Some of you will use your white privilege to help, you know, black people, people of color, and that's great. But, you know, the... In some cases, the one or two little things that you do, you want to be you want to be this superhero. You want to be God. That savior complex comes back into play. And that's not how it works. So what was interesting is I was talking to a black police officer that I saw over at the grocery store. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They got some color on a police force over here now? And he was like, yes. And he named a couple of other ones. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And so we went through the dynamics of, you know, Black Lives Matter, and he's like, all lives matter. And I'm like, if all lives matter, we wouldn't have to say Black Lives Matter. And if all lives matter, they wouldn't be snatching these babies from their brown mamas and daddies at the border. But that's a whole different story. And so he came back with some of the classic retorts that I've heard from white people and that I've seen. Well, there were white people who died during the civil rights, you know, um, activist days, during the civil rights days. And I say, yeah, but those white lives are not are are not more valuable than the black lives that were lost. And he had to concede that point. See, the thing is, is that people like that, and white people, are not used to black people, especially a black woman speaking back to them, and calling it out, and having a rational, well thought out, intelligent response. And when they do get it, they write it off. Or if they don't write it off, they'll, you know, they try to make all these other excuses. You wouldn't believe some of the shit that, you know, oh, you know, she's intel. Intel what? Intelligent? Well, how could she answer all these questions? I gave great responses. No, you're a fucking idiot. And if you're a white idiot and you call me up, I'm going to muck your ass on the floor every time. Especially you dug up my cell phone number with bullshit? And you really think I'm going to let that pass? So, yes, you know, it's, it's, you know, the whole thing is like, it's just amazing. Amazing some of the shit that I've had to see, some of the things I've had to hear, and some of the things I've had to deal with. And so, you know, progressives, you know, for some reason, you know, can't see their own racism, their own bigotry, you know, um, even with some of the so-called feminists out here, you know, some of you all carry a whole bunch of um, patriarchy, you know, you just want it in reverse, right? You want it in reverse. Well, men do it. Why can't women do it? It's wrong if women do it too. Next, and so <laughs> you know, it's 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 amazing, absolutely amazing. You know, I'll give you an example of something that happened most recently. Um, you know, the UU Church, as well as the U uh, UCC denomination um you know historically they've been tied to social justice and social justice movements um you know for hundreds of years you know they've been allies you know and so there's a church in DC called All Souls Church Unitarian and you know every city has a UU church that does well almost every city has a UU church that You know, you have members that work on anti-racist projects, um, you know, feminist projects, you know, just a number of different things, right? And so at this particular church, there was a minister there. And, you know, there was conflict. And, you know, she, she felt like she was being mistreated because she was black. And so what was so interesting about this, and I'll tell you all an article where you can find it. This is on the Washington Post. Prominent progressive D.C. church accused of racism tries to move on, right? And let me see. Who wrote this? Let me scroll up. It was written by Michelle Borstein, B-O-O-R-S-T-I-N. And it's a really great article, but I'm going to scroll to the bottom of the article and read the last um, paragraph. Because, um, you know, it's it, I just think it's a great paragraph. And so it says, for me, I do look around and wonder, are you on Rob's side, Susan's? People come on Sunday and just go about their business, she said. It feels like there are well-intentioned white people who just want justice on the outside, but inside you want everything to just look pretty and you're less concerned. that's very telling right there and so you know they were talking to the woman who made that comment was a longtime black congregant of the of the church and for those of you who have not you know seen this there are a lot of black people leaving white progressive white evangelical churches there's been a mass exodus you know and even with one of the institutions here You know, you had some white members that were concerned because they asked one of the white members, white male members, how does he see the church or this institution in five years? And he said the same as it is now, white, old and white. And so they were a little concerned and upset about that. you know, they're talking to me and I'm like, what the fuck are you telling me for? I agree with him. You know, the way you all are doing things and the pace that you're going, yeah, it's going to be old and white five years from now. It's going to be old and white ten years from now, especially if they have the conversation. Kind of, well, I'm not sure how they're going to feel about bringing Muslims into the conversation. What do you mean you don't know how fuck they're feeling? Talking about racism and coming to solutions and bringing about solutions has nothing to do with feelings, has nothing to do with emotions. It's about doing the right thing, right? So anyway, so, you know, with this particular Unitarian Universal Church, um, the UCC, um, they've done some groundbreaking work, you know, in, in their own way over the years. Um, and UCC means United Church of Christ, okay, just in case you didn't know what that stood for. And, you know, there was a lot of controversy, but there were other black ministers, preachers, whatever you want to call yourself, that experienced some of the same treatment, you know, in different denominations, congregations, or what have you. And so it's just just really interesting, you know, when you start looking at this. And, you know, you have these churches and they'll participate in anti-white supremacy or anti-racist training and all of that. And um, it's like some of them, it's like you didn't learn a damn thing if they didn't skip it. How about that? So I just found it, you know, telling. Very tough, you know. You know the microaggressions. You know we talked about this on the show, and you know the slights, the reversals. I'll give you an example, a real life example. So there have been some issues taking place, you know, where I live now, and you know, of course, they want to do a summit conference to talk about these things. So they invited us to the planning meeting. So they loved our ideas, but yet, you know, the feeling we get is they aren't quite sure if they want to give us a seat at the table. So you want to give us a seat at the planning table so you can take our ideas, co opt and appropriate what we're bringing, but you don't necessarily want to give us a place at the table. And so what was so interesting is the way that they had, you know, originally set it up, which we think it has reverted back to that, whereas, you know, this one white woman spoke up and said, well, this sounds very white male-centered, which, of course, you know, brought a hush across the room. So what was interesting is when people were coming into the meeting, you know, I was telling, you know, my um, other two co-founders, I said, I see black people. And so we were just laughing because usually it's not too many of us invited into these spaces, right? And so when they were going on and they were talking about, oh, well, we want to start it at 9 a.m. on a Saturday over here and we're going to have members of the business community come and speak. And I just raised my hand. I'm like, you're not going to get a lot of black and brown youth to come to this at 9 a.m. in the morning to hear a bunch of old white men telling them what they should and should not be doing. It's just not going to happen. And you could have knocked them over with a feather. And so there was some, some black youth there, two black young women. And so, you know, they were encouraged to speak. And they told them part of the problem is nothing to do. And when there is something to do, it's too expensive to get in. So if they have bus money to get there. If they have a rise, you know, and it's, it's a number of other issues. It's, it's kind of complex. But at the end of the day, when they had the second planning meeting, all of that was washed away. Oh, well, we're going to be inclusive and blah, 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 which means basically the people that are going to attend are going to be basically white youth with a few black youth mixed in. And many of those black youth will be coming from middle, middle, upper class black families. And there's this one group here that primarily works with black youth. And so, of course, they're going to bring some of their people. They're going to make sure that some of their children get there, right? But at the end of the day, these white leaders in in the room, you know, were too afraid to say that the target audience, the target group that they're trying to reach were black and brown youth. Too afraid to say it until we said it. We had to force the issue. It was like pulling fucking teeth. And so, you know, child, what are we going to do? And so, you know, we made some proposals, which, of course, by the second meeting, you know, as I stated, you know, kind of got pushed off. By the wayside, well, at least that's what it seems like. They're going to use some of the, they're going to use some of the ideas that uh, we have posed. I already know that, and you know we had a black pastor there, and you know what he said was on point, point. and he reinforced some of what we said, and you had another prominent black you know, um, businessman there. And, you know, we're all just sitting there looking at each other and getting frustrated because you're not listening. And not only are you not listening, I just plain and simply believe that you don't give a damn. You want to be able to say that you put that summit conference together just to say you try or give off you know, give off the illusion that you tried. But we just can't seem to get the blacks out of the house. They wouldn't come. They wouldn't show up. We don't understand. You know, we had free food. We had plenty of business cards to give away. We don't understand. It was free to get in. What more do they want? We don't know what to do. And during this meeting, it was revealed that, you know, a couple of years ago, they had put together this research project to figure out what was happening down here. And they had the answers, but they did nothing with it. And so we were like, why reinvent the wheel? let's get the, the information from that research project and let's pick that back up. And go from there, and we made suggestions, or maybe we could do a smaller venue specifically targeting, you know, black and brown youth, but a specific portion of the black and brown youth. Because it's like, otherwise, they're not going to show up. We don't care what you offer them. They're not going to show up if they see a bunch of white faces, especially white men, and you've invited the police. They sure as hell ain't going to show up. But you don't want this to fail. And you got to understand that this particular group of people that have a lot of influence over that particular group of people, these are the ones you want to target and work with and assure a better future, assure that you're listening to them, assure that you want to work with them. Otherwise, you're wasting your time, and, you know, I've grown twice, right, and even I am not necessarily willing to get up and be somewhere on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m. to have old white men lecturing me about how to get a motherfucking job, lecturing me on what my so-called responsibilities to the community are. Who the fuck are you? Address the real issues. Let's address the, the lack of access to education, the lack of access to jobs, the lack of access to, to business loans, economic development, the lack of access to affordable health care, the lack of access to a number of things, you know, health care, mental health care, you know, all of this. That is violence. So when we talk about anti-violence, we're talking about being against the lack of access to these resources. But you're too busy trying to throw a cure at the symptoms, trying to fix the symptoms, and you're not getting to the root of the problem. If you address a lot of these issues, a lot of that shit will stop. If not, stop. Clear up. Huh. Right? So, yeah. I just, I feel like we're going in circles. And see, I'm good and grown, and I'm bored, silly. I, you know, when I was a teenager, it was the same problem. Nothing to do. And the things that are here to do, you know, I can afford to do some of the stuff. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. You know, but, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, I'm looking for black and brown faces that I can congregate with on a social basis and not necessarily in a church or a grocery store. Yeah, you know, I want what I want, and that's okay. And it's here. I just gotta get connected or create my own, which is more than likely what's going to happen. But um, you know, it was it was it was interesting. Um, if, you know, go check that book out. Read the articles. You don't necessarily have to buy the book. So read the articles in which Robin DiAngelo talks about her book. And, you know, she said one of the classic questions. That basically, she says, well, I was a classic white progressive, which meant I was clueless about racism, which meant I could not answer the question, what does it mean to be white? I thought I was not racist, and I really didn't have anything more to learn. I applied for a job. And so she went on and talked about these things. And um, she was talking about the host when she tried to talk about diversity and racism and how the white employees were hostile about that and how initially she was taken aback. I mean, just taken aback by being challenged by people of color in, in her comfort zone of being a white person. She had never been challenged that way. And she had never been challenged to look at the world differently or or challenged at how she looks at the world and why she looks at it that way and about her place in the world, right? So here's the question. She said, well, they asked her, what is racism? Now, this is in Slate. Slate Slate.com is titled the article is White Liberal Racism, Why Progressives Are Unable to See Their Own Bigotry. And it was written by Isaac cotiner well I'll spell it c-h-o-t-i-n-e-r so i want to say chotiner but that don't sound right so we're just going to say potner right and so they they asked her a question they said what is racism how do people who are white progressives perpetrate it? she responded we're taught to think of racism as individual acts of intentional meanness across race that's it always an individual it has to be conscious and it must be intentional That definition exempts virtually all white people from the system that we're all in and that we've all been shaped by. It is the bedrock of our country. That changes the question from if I'm racist to which most white people would answer no to how is this manifesting in my life because it is. It's on me to figure out how, right? And so I'm going to skip down a little bit, but it says, so then what does it mean to be white? She responds, it means many things, but it means not ever having to bear witness to the pain of racism on people of color. It means not being held accountable for the pain that you caused people of color. It means not knowing the history of this country and being able to trace that history into the present. is being relentlessly reinforced in superiority and then not ever being able to admit that. Well, how about that shit? You want another? We'll go for another one, right? We'll go for two more. Okay, but are you saying that a white person is almost by definition part of this system or that white people, because of their role in this society, just tend to be more clueless and lazy because they're in positions of privilege? Her response? I might say the first one leads to the second one. I don't think any of it's benign. I don't think white people are racially innocent, but we, as we often like to position ourselves to be. There's a kind of refusal to see or to know or to believe or to hear that allows us to then not have to act. Next question. What could a white person in America in 2018 do to not be racist, or do you believe that's impossible? Her response? Well, I have to ask you a question I forgot to ask you earlier, and he asked, she asked for their racial identity, and he said that his family was from Eastern Europe, and he, and he was white. And so she said, okay, all of us have been shaped by cultural water that we swim in. All white people have internalized a racist worldview. Let me own that. As a result of being raised as a white person in this society, I have a racist worldview. I have deep racist biases. I have developed racist patterns, and I have an investment in not only the system of racism that has served me so well, it's so comfortable, but I also have an investment in not saying any of that because of what I believe it suggests about my identity as a good person, the way that I think about it is how do I be a little less white, a little less racist, quite frankly, less defensive, less arrogant, less certain, less complacent, less passive? When they ask me what do I do, I have to ask a couple of questions back. The first thing is how have you not met? I'm sorry. The first thing is how have you managed not to know? It's 2018. As a white person in 2018, why is that your question? How have you managed not to know what to do about racism when good information is everywhere and people of color have been trying to tell us forever that's meant to be a challenge? The first thing you have to break is with the apathy of not taking initiative. And so go and read this. It's actually a great, great interview. And so, you know, um, huh. You know, I I had a white person, I had on a Black Lives Matter T-shirt, and I had a white person ask me, you know, well, don't all lives matter? I said, well, of course they do. And she said, well, why are you wearing a Black Lives Matter? And I said, because if all lives matter, I wouldn't have to say Black Lives Matter. And she was like, so, you know, what does black lives matter to you? You know, she, and I guess she thought she had stumped me. And I said, black lives matter. And I said, matter, you know, you matter is anything that exists, right? That is what matter is, scientific, a basic scientific definition of matter. Black lives matter. We exist. We are here. We deserve to have our humanity recognized and celebrated. We deserve to have the same opportunity as everyone else. We, we matter. God damn it. We matter in a, in a, in a big scheme of things. We matter. And, 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 you know, it's just so much more into that that I can go into, but I get tired of answering these types of questions. Especially when white people know that they're asking the same questions over and over, and it goes back to what I say, deny, deflect, and derail. That is something that a lot of white people are good at. And so as I stated earlier, you know, you have um, a number of resources, you know, It was interesting, I'll have white people say, oh, send me the information. You know how to Google every damn thing else. I bet you you Google. Anyway, you know how to Google every damn thing else. Why should I have to take time out to educate you on these things? I'm already doing the show. Go back and listen to the archives. There are a lot of black people out here that are educating you on a daily basis. The difference between me and some of these other folks out here that you have heralded in in certain regards is my hand ain't out. I'm not asking you for any money. I'm not asking you for any recognition. I'm not asking you for shit. But you will pay. And that will go towards groups, local groups, local grassroots, black and brown radical organizations that are out here on the ground doing the work. I always have supported them and I always will. But why must I justify and explain my existence or why I matter? You spend tens of millions of dollars on this type of research, take that money and invest it back into these neighborhoods. You know, and you know, I'm I'm kinda of done with this because I'm getting even more pissed off. And um you know, I'm getting even more pissed off. And, you know, what's interesting is <sighs> this is a life lesson. You know, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. You have all of these things happening and all of these things going on. And, you know, life happens. And, you know, you you really just get tired of this shit. And the violence. And when we say violence, there are a number of different ways that we can define violence and how we can view it, right? And, you know, you'll have these, well, I supported you until you all started being violent, and then when the violence came in, I just couldn't support it anymore. Why are you blocking the highway? And, you know, why are you doing these things? You're just making it inconvenient. You're making white people not want to to to, to support you because you're doing all of this. And what's interesting is a lot of that I get from white liberals. It was so funny because I was listening to some public enemy the other day and I was listening to Can't Trust It and it was talking about, you know, Chuck D. what he says, beware of the white hand coming from the left. Now we already know what's wrong with them them folks over there on the right. And we talk about it, and hell, we ain't even really got to talk a lot about it. They're showing you who the hell you are. What did Maya Angelou say? when people show you who they are, believe them. That's why I said you people, white people, voted for Donald Trump. They didn't believe. him. Oh, that's just rhetoric. Oh, that's just hyper. You know, hyperbole. Blah 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 blah. We believed him. You did. That's why we're living through this crazy shit. And so, <laughs> um, you're just lucky black people haven't burned this whole country down. You try to keep them docile. You try to keep them asleep. You throw them a couple of scraps to make them happy. You'll pull a couple of black and brown people and put them to the front and, like, oh, here's your leaders, you know, your, your new overseers, Right? As long as we give these black and browns some money, they can keep the rest of them corralled and under control. And also, my question to you is, when black people have events and put on whatever it is we're putting on, why must you be at every one? Just forcing yourself into spaces, safe spaces, that should be people of color, should be black people should be brown people. And you force yourself into these spaces, and when we say no, you get angry. We shouldn't have to specify these things. You can support us by helping us to raise the money to put these events together by passing the information around, checking other white people, but you want to be front and center. I just have to be front and center. I just need to know these things. Oh, the like blacks—they're so wise. It's so wise. We can learn so much. No, oh, you can co-opt and steal and appropriate so much. You're so used to being centered that you can't even see yourself not being centered in a safe space for black or brown people. You need to question that. You need to think about that. So anyway, we're down to the last eight minutes. And like I said, you know, those are just a couple of examples of some shit that I'm dealing with. And, you know, I'm trying to hold it together. But I don't think this is going to end well. Because I'm going to start calling these folks out. And as you all know, I have no fucks to give anymore. So, you know, I have a question. Which is more dangerous? Or are they equally dangerous? And what if the person is both? They used to say an educated black person is a dangerous black person. But what if you're a black person with personal wealth? Is a black person with wealth as dangerous or more dangerous equally dangerous as a black person as educated? What if you're both and when I say a white person I'm sorry when I say a black person with wealth, I'm talking about a black person with enough money to purchase themselves some white privilege every once in a while just to fuck with you. some questions, things that I sit back and think about. So anyway, woke white people in their fragility and they're having to be centered in everything and they're having to be thought of in everything and how they have arrived and there's nothing more you can teach them. They know all that they need to know. You know, you can't teach this old dog any new tricks. I know it all. I've been there. I've done that. And then here comes this little black girl from the south Side, Chicago that's like, no, you're wrong. That's not how that works. Uh, affirmative action, that's not necessarily for black people. This is set up for white women, particularly white women who are married to soldiers. Military men. They were, and continue to be, the largest group benefiting from these from these programs. And you know, when I talk about the people that were working in the fields, agricultural, you know, domestic workers, and how it wasn't until the '60s that they were able to collect social And what's interesting is that a couple of white feminists were the ones preventing and trying to block from having to pay social security towards the future of these black women and men. You don't want to talk about that, right? So... And whether they were videotaping or just bearing witness to the conversation, I don't appreciate deceit. I don't appreciate you attempting to lay a trap for me. So if that's the game we want to play, let's play. You ain't going to like it. So, yeah, well, white people and their fragility and feigning innocence and ignorance and all of these things, knowing good and damn well what you're doing, knowing good and damn well that that's not okay. You know, I support black people, but when they play the race card, the race card. Really? So instead of black lives matter, she just say lives matter, right? So all lives matter. Well, why do we have to have all? Isn't that implied? Isn't that a given? Well, no, because you're saying black lives, and then they do matter. Well, we don't understand why, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you don't understand. But when we challenge you and call you out on you not understanding it, then you want to get defensive, Cry, make accusations, go in the background, try to find ways to punish or harm us because we challenge you. Because we won't kowtow, bow down, genuflect, and kiss your ass. That's never going to happen with me. So, you want a roller coaster ride? I'm going to give you one. So, on that note, we're getting ready to end the show. This is Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. As for me and my Black Free Thinkers, we shall read books with Black Free Thinkers, but not the Kanye kind. All right, y'all. You know, I'm going to try to get something, maybe do a show later on this week or next Sunday or whatever. Like I said, I can't make no promises. But now that I see these numbers are jumping, I was like, wow, damn. So it's it's encouraging me to um, do another project that had been in the background. And because now I'm down here in the middle of the damn corn and wheat fields, I have all this extra time, and I kind of have to pull that together because sometimes I'll catch myself. And three hours later, I ain't did shit or still reading the same chapter of a book, and that's not me. So, you know, doing things to kind of pull myself out of my rut, out of my comfort zone. And there are plenty of things that can keep me occupied, but I'm going to have to put together, you know, a time management schedule and stick to it because, um, I don't know, you know, I'm trying not to slip back into a depression, right? So you guys work with me. I appreciate you. I appreciate your listening to the show. I appreciate those of you that have listened over the years. Whether you enjoy the show or not, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I don't expect everybody to like the show. I don't expect everybody to agree with me, and that's not my goal. Sometimes I come on the show and I talk about things, and I'll express an opinion which may or may not be my personal opinion. But, again, we're here to challenge you to think. I'm not here to tell you what to think or how to think. I just want you to think. That's the goal. And if what I say makes you feel uncomfortable, good. I've done my job. So, you know, that's how it goes. Well, I don't like her. Good. You're one less person that I don't, that I don't want to talk to that I don't have to talk to. There you go. All right. You all take it easy now. This is Kim. Have a good one. Bye-bye. 18 plus.